everybody. So I'm Kat, and today I'm joined by Toral Shah, who is founder of The Urban Kitchen, nutritionist, and Toral, how are you? I'm well, how are you? We're in lockdown two. It's uh, different from lockdown one, but I think we've all learned mm-hmm. from lockdown one. So I feel like it's, whilst it's still hard, it's slightly more manageable because we know what to expect. Things are more open. We know what coping strategies work and what doesn't work. Mm, that's, a, that's a great way to start. What coping strategy works for you personally, Toral? So I think making sure, and I was just talking about this a minute ago, but getting outside and having fresh air and going for a walk mm-hmm. and being out in nature, I think if I can prioritise that, that's really important. Mm-hmm. Getting good quality sleep, because at the moment we've all got so much more screen time. So mm-hmm. I've invested in some blue light blocking glasses. And because normally I just don't use screens in the evening, but at the moment I am. So I'm just trying to minimise that blue light, which affects our melatonin, our sleep hormone. Um, also things like... I think first lockdown, there were lots more Zoom party calls where you end up yeah. drinking wine. And I've just stopped doing that this time. I don't yeah. find it helpful. Um, and eating all the biscuits, you know, not helpful. But, I, you know, it still happens sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that. And you know what, everybody, here we have a nutritionist who is saying it is okay to eat biscuits. And I think that that is great. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about your journey, because it's not a sort of traditional one of being a little bit woo-woo and into because a lot of the people who we in the yoga world come you know we come into contact with have you know become a nutritionist through yoga through wanting to care for the planet or care for their bodies in a different way but I find your journey really fascinating because it's just so brilliantly down to earth and I love well I'm not I'm not gonna um I'm not going to say which bit, but yeah, go on, go get it. Say. <laughs> so no, you're absolutely right. It has been not a straightforward or straight road to where I'm at now. And I'm a nutritional scientist, a functional medicine practitioner. I'll talk more about that later. But for me, I actually read a book when I was 11 years old as a very precocious child about a cancer surgeon who treated teenage cancer patients, but his own child had cancer and subsequently died. Um, so in my head, I was when I decided, right, I am going to cure cancer because oh, that's what you do when you're 11 years old. You're like, right, I'm going to solve this problem. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, I think in some ways that made my path really easy because I knew that I was going heading to medical school and that was, then, you know, that was the be all and end all. And so, and actually really in hindsight, I think I was going to cure cancer. would have made more sense to go into scientific research, but obviously you don't know much at 11. And I think even when you're doing your A-levels and things at school, like I came from a, a school that was really into, you do medicine, you do law, you go to Oxford, you go to Cambridge. It was very kind of like clear paths. And so, you know, it was very kind of obvious which path I would take. Um, and I think, no one prepared me in those days for what it would entail as a job. So I got to medical school, all fine. And then my mum had breast cancer. And I found medical school really hard anyway, but then understanding more and then seeing my mum go through her breast cancer treatment, particularly chemotherapy, surgery, no one talked about what would help her to recover and to prevent recurrence. So I started looking into nutrition and lifestyle. This is back in 99, which shows my age. And um, there was some information, but most doctors, it wasn't practical. No one really knew about it. 
And it was one of those things I would be digging in a dusty kind of library to find the information. So then I, you know, worked in, I decided that medicine was not for me because I realized oncology, you need to be able to really separate from your patients to treat them effectively and, and to look after yourself too. And I'm not able to do that. I'm very empathetic and that's not something I can do. And also I didn't realize what oncology would be like. And I just was like, oh no, this is not for me. So I worked in research for a while. Then I had a complete break from science and I went back and did a master's in nutritional medicine because I could really see as I started to investigate for myself that there's a real impact of nutrition and lifestyle on our health and well-being yeah. and particularly in cancer and diabetes um, and these kind of chronic lifestyle diseases so yeah I went off to uh, did a master's and at the end of the master's I myself at age of 29 was diagnosed with breast cancer which oh I didn't God. expect and so That's suddenly so nice. all the information that I had learned became practical um, and you know I could help support myself through breast cancer surgery and I will say one thing is I was really healthy and fit I was training for triathlons mm. I was really good shape I was mm. obviously eating all the vegetables <laughs> and not the biscuits in those days and I still had breast cancer and obviously we have to think about disease like cancer as being a spectrum of risk and obviously I'm doing loads of things to reduce my risk but I have got a familial link to breast cancer so one of the conversations we've had with my doctors is I did all the right things but I had this high genetic risk mm -hmm. so I still had it but what I have had is I've had a non-aggressive form and the one mm -hmm. that's actually been really slow growing so maybe some oh, of the stuff I didn't help so mm. which is most young women get very aggressive breast cancer unfortunately you know 50 people mm. of them relapse quite you know quickly so yeah so that's my journey so by that time I um was qualified in nutritional medicine and I was trying to mm. bring people into this information but no one cared back in 2006 they just right. found it really weird and I was 10 years ahead of my you know the time how the we, world has changed how the my world goodness. has changed and so I used to kind of bring them in via food and doing cooking workshops and then throw nutrition information at them and then slowly slowly things so. began to change there's much more evidence and science particularly with health optimization and prevention mm -hmm. and reducing risk of disease mm -hmm. and then yeah we're now where we're at where nutrition everyone's interested it's a male mainstream thing granted mm -hmm. there's still a lot of doctors who don't understand and believe that nutrition and lifestyle uh, can make a difference to your health because they're not taught that in medical school um uh, you know, what i was taught back then is the same as what they're taught now which is crazy given the information's changed so much so that's yeah. you know kind of how i got to nutrition in a roundabout way um, yeah, but I've been doing this for 15 years. Thank you. Sorry, yeah. So, so you've been practicing now for 15 years. Yeah, so, well, almost 15 years. So that's mm. what I'm saying. It's not a woo-woo thing in the way that I've been doing no. for a really long time, using evidence-based science to yeah. look at the studies around the world. And that is the really the point of what I wanted to kind of to get across, because I know that a lot of people are even a bit like, oh, does nutrition make a difference? Is there even a point to it? Like, isn't that something that only women's magazines would be interested in? Oh, my goodness. It just it doesn't seem to have the credibility that so many aspects of looking after ourselves should do. And it's just so crazy because, as you say, uh, nutrition, it's got to have such an impact. It's the fuel. <laughs> it is absolutely the fuel. And, you know, given our body renews itself completely every seven years, I mean, the cells do. Um, mm. I, think, I think people do believe in it now. I would say mm. that obviously it would help if doctors were trained in that. I do think mm. there's a whole wave of doctors whether some are my age or some are newly qualified who really 
see the evidence for lifestyle medicine so that's being nutrition exercise mm. stress relief and that making a difference so mm. there is a shift but yeah, again good. like with all these things we women are the front forefront change for a start and um it takes time and the curriculum yeah. has to change for medical school and for science and also if you think about our nhs also prevents us from really looking for optimal health it's all about disease it's not about actual optimal health and prevention. It's about kind of, so we have a whole generation of people who have grown up with the NHS. So let's say people in their 40s, 50s, 60s, mm -hmm. 70s, and mm -hmm. they don't think they should prevent disease and they just expect the NHS to resolve it. But actually we now have a newer generations coming through where mm. they realize that what we do makes a huge difference too. And actually the NHS does not have the money or the resources to do everything mm. that you could do for your health. Yeah, and I love the idea of just being able to take responsibility. You know, looking after ourselves is is one of the key things that we can do. So, sort of going on to having a think about what optimal nutrition is. Obviously, this subject is absolutely massive, and all of our bodies are so different as well. But there are a few sort of things that I wanted to um, just talk to you about, and then maybe you can bring up things which might be, um, things which are at your, at the front of your mind. So, um, first thing I wanted to talk about is the role of protein, because it, that's something which is very, it seems very controversial. Is it controversial? And it is what controversial. Do you think the of, yeah. So, what, so what, how, what do you think the role of protein is in keeping us well? And if we're not feeling great, is protein one of the important things to go to? So I think protein is really important for women, and mm. particularly for women over 40, because we lose our mm. muscle mass so quickly, particularly once we start to enter perimenopause and menopause. Mm. And when you lose muscle mass... Mm -hmm. not only do you, you know, lose maybe potentially strength mm -hmm. but you also your metabolism decreases so this mm. can account for some of this middle-aged spread mm -hmm. and also things like osteoporosis and you know wasted so i think there is a lot of controversy because the mm. some of the public health guidelines actually advocate quite low levels of protein mm. now one of the kind of current theories and and i think there's so many mm. but given that we're so sedentary now mm. compared to before yes protein becomes even more important when really because we're eating too much food in some cases not everyone and some people are too eating too little food um but then we need to make sure that we have food that can ensure that our bodies stay intact and strong so if we are not eating enough protein then mm -hmm. muscle will be used up mm -hmm. to kind of fulfill some of the body's essential roles like the brain and stuff like that so i think that's what we have to remember now mm -hmm. personally i err towards a slightly higher protein approach mm -hmm. not all the time but sometimes but i think everyone's really different i think there's lots of different conversations about this mm -hmm. and if you look at the science the um most kind of optimal health kind of um, kind mm -hmm. of diets are the japanese and the mediterranean diet mm -hmm. and they're both essentially peasant diets full of different colorful fruits and vegetables and fiber and more importantly oily fish um which reduces inflammation they're full of like either things like extra virgin olive oil nuts and seeds soya beans you know legumes all of those sorts of things and they eat little amounts of meat and dairy mm. so, so what what 
though we know from a long-term perspective, if you look at the blue zones, where you know the areas in the world where people are more li- likely to live to over 100 and live well and still have good quality mm. of life, that's the kind of diet that they eat. So is it then a combination of all these things? But also within these particular areas, it's not just a diet, it's a lifestyle. All of these people are quite... Um, they move around. They might not exercise in the traditional sense, but they all walk a lot, and they also walk around a lot of hills. So there's a lot, of, and they're gardening. They're always doing something. So that, so whereas our kind of westernized world, we're all just sitting. We're sitting on our chairs at our desks. By the way, I've ordered a standard desk, which should have arrived today, but it hasn't. So, so I could be sitting less. But um, mm. you know, we go. People drive to in their cars. You know, we're not just walking around. From here, then, everywhere. So I think the protein aspect becomes it's part of the fuller lifestyle thing. It's not right. just one just thing in isolation. And there's some studies to show that actually women should be eating a far more protein than they actually are, particularly like, you know, when people become vegetarian, things like that, and they're not having good quality protein. We need those amino acids to rebuild our bodies. Mm. Yeah, because a lot of our audience will be vegan or vegetarian because many yogis are. So they'll be saying, oh, I don't eat oily fish. What can I do? So a supplement, so if you're willing to take mm-hmm. a fish-based supplement, mm-hmm. then an omega-3 like krill oil or something like that, if you don't mm-hmm. want to do that, then you can get algal um, forms. Um, so this mm-hmm. is basically so we have the appropriate amounts of DHA and EPA. Now, mm-hmm. our body can make this, mm-hmm. the, the um, DHA from the EPA, but uh, it's it's not very efficient. Right. So everyone says, oh, you should eat flax seeds and this and that. It's yeah. not that efficient. Is it not? So, no, Damn. it's a really inefficient process. It's I'm actually, a flaxseed eater. No. No, there's other benefits to flaxseed, but it's it's only, you know, it can be as little as 3% effective for some people. It depends on, you know, your micrograms and all sorts of other things. So we have mm. to remember that there's so many more aspects to eating and linking planetary health to people's health and what our bodies actually need. And as we get older, oh we, we need different things. Mm. Uh, that's such a great I, I love that response that it's planetary health pe- health people's health and also a sort of cyclical thing that it's not a one-time thing okay everybody has to always eat this that that to me just makes so much sense especially as you say if our bodies are constantly renewing their cells that's a fascinating thing what what kind of um non-animal proteins would you recommend you mentioned the nuts and the legumes yeah so i think we have to remember that um there are lots of um vegetarian proteins Mm. but you also remember some of them are are quite high in carbs too right so ones which are higher in protein and slightly lower in carbs are things like quinoa amaranth they're about between 15 to 16 17 percent protein and then obviously things like you know legumes but they're only six to eight percent normally protein. Tofu tempeh is much again is higher. Mm-hmm. Um, tempeh, I'm a real fan of tempeh. Um, it's so delicious as well. It's really good. Yeah, it's much nicer than tofu actually. I've decided. Yeah, um, I think so. It's nuttier, and then also you know, um, obviously you've got all the dairy products. If you do eat those, mm. like cheese, mm. um, yogurt. Mm. skier kefir all of those things Mm -hmm. protein if you eat eggs and eggs are a great source of protein um each egg is about six or seven grams of protein so Mm -hmm. there are lots of things but again it's about variety so with vegetarian diets Mm. there are very few apart from quinoa 
there are very few complete proteins, meaning they don't have all the amino acids that the human body needs. So you have to combine right. them, which is why in loads of cultures, they combine rice and beans or lentils. So in Cuba, for example, rice and beans. India, rice and beans. And yes. that, like if you look at um, Japan, rice and soya beans. So you know, there's a lot of different things. Mm, so we've got to remember it's all about combination as well and like having variety. Variety is really the most important thing in nutrition, diversity and variety. Yeah. And of course, that's something which is very, very hard for many of us busy folks, because we kind of get stuck into a cooking rut, don't we? I don't know about you, but you must have come across it. Where I mean, I have my go-to dishes. I don't have to think too much. And this is what I make. And I guess that's the trouble is that it just means that we'll order the same things or keep eating the same things. And then we're not adventurous enough. Exactly. And I think everyone has their go-to dishes. And I, for me, that's not a problem. But for my mom, you know, I'll take an example. She's been cooking the same things for like 40 years. And now she's really having to try because my, my dad's been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. So he is trying to have a higher protein diet. Mm. Again, more omega-3 fatty acids. Mm -hmm. So she's really having to change. So whilst they had a really good diet as far as lots of different fruits and vegetables mm. and legumes, mm and maybe they probably need a little you know a few more whole grains they've had to change things up so for my mom it's like trying to figure out what what to eat and like eating their carbs from vegetables as opposed to like wheat and stuff like that because my dad's on a you know gluten-free diet so mm. i think it's been really challenging for my mom but i do think having a few really good cookbooks helps so i bought my mom ottolenghi simple and she loves it like literally loves it yeah, um, you know what I, I i gave that to my mum mum and dad one christmas that yeah, it went down so well. It's yeah, a good one. <laughs> so my mum's been making, and also because it's not too complicated, it does have millions yeah. of ingredients like some of his other books. So, mm. you know, that. And then if I make something, then I will just share those recipes with my mum. Um, nice. And if I see things that I like, and then she'll have it, she'll be like, oh, how do I make that? So it's been really good. Like, for example, uh, on, we had Diwali, and we had a pumpkin biryani, which is something she never would have made. So she's like, okay, well, how do I make that now? So, you know, and also That's we made a ven we do eat, my mom, my dad eats meat, but um, we had venison kima. And I get mm. that some people don't eat meat, but um, venison's great because it's a really, a really good balance of omega-3 fats to omega-6 fats, which a lot of protein vegetarians are unfortunately way more imbalanced. And because mm. it's all wild... Mm. it's got very lean high in protein and also you mm. know from a planetary perspective we don't have any of the predators that used to feed on the deer so mm -hmm. we need to cull them anyway mm. so mm. it becomes then a sustainable meat to mm. eat and i yeah. think that's people I th don't think about it enough no i think you're absolutely right and for me um sustainability is a really important thing as well as obviously the ethics and you know the kind of life that the animals lived and in any event you know eating a broiler chicken that's had you know chemicals pumped into it and all the other stuff pumped i mean surely that's not going to produce much in the way of nutrition no it's full of it could be full of antibiotics and stuff too so absolutely not i mean my whole mm. mantra with this is mm. eat less meat but eat much better quality meat better quality meat and fish so i only have lion caught fish i only right. have wild fish Mm -hmm. uh, because that's actually higher in omega threes and you know leaner as well. Because farm salmon and things is really fatty, mm. um, so I mm. don't eat that. Um, well, that and that's then, interesting. You know, yeah, and also with vegetables and things, eat seasonal, eat diverse, try something new every day, every time. So I don't shop for vegetables in the supermarket normally because a, it's covered in plastic, 
and B, um, you can't choose how much you want. So there's mm-hmm. more wastage, but also because, you know, just from a seasonal perspective, seeing what else there is. So I will more often go to markets, my local fresh you know, green grocers or places like that to see what there is. And, and I just eat very seasonally because then you're having a much wider variety of fruit and vegetables and, you know, eating the rainbow, making sure you have a color from each, you know, each day. Oh, I think I, I absolutely agree with that. I love, love, love colourful food. That's one of my things. Yeah, I mean, I'm I grow my own. So for me, I think the taste and the nutrition of something that's freshly plucked from the ground, as opposed to been shipped around the world. I mean, it's oh got to be totally. so much better. Which is why I think vegetable boxes are great. And I think there's been a huge surge in those over lockdown. Mm. And I think for me, like, a you end up having to eat different things because the box comes with what it comes with. Yeah. Uh, um, so you have to eat season and kind of really ex- uh, re- adapt your things. But also, you're because you're eating mm. season you, every you know, throughout the year, we're eating different things, which are you know more nutrient dense. So, um, you know, the amount of people who still see different vegetables, like they've never seen something like a celeriac before. And I'm like, what do you mean? You've never seen a celeriac? <laughs> so, you know, all of those things. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And so, there's the nutrition itself. So, the food that we eat is eating the sort of smaller quantities but bigger varieties of things but then there is also the combination of the food that we eat and eating the right combinations in the right way so that's also another thing to think about is there any simple rule of thumb again I'm just aware that you've got decades of knowledge and condensing it into a few minutes that's hard (laughs) but it's not so that it's just that we're also individuals so what would work for Mm. one person it's not going to work for another person. But for me, it's like always having at least half my plate full of vegetables, even if it doesn't necessarily look like that. So, for example, today I made myself some pasta, which is unusual for lunch, but I was really didn't have much time. Um, but what I did was I made a sauce by pureeing some lovely roast peppers, uh, some sun-dried tomatoes, some uh, walnuts, using a little bit of black garlic, and then I wilted Ooh. a lot of spinach, so half the plate, even though it didn't actually look like half the plate was vegetables, mm. and then obviously a lot of also pasta in there. So I think people need to really think about that. And doesn't like at least half my plate is different things, and not just having the same things cooked in the same way either. So I think texture is so important for eating too, and I think you know varying that. So those are my rules, and then having making sure mm. I have protein. And making mm-hmm. sure you've got some good fats in the form of, you know, olive oil or rapeseed oil or nuts and mm. seeds or legumes or all of those sorts of things or oily mm. fish or whatever it is. And then herbs and spices. Mm. Herbs and spices are so nutrient dense and they make your t- food taste amazing, yet people don't use them. Now, talk to me about herbs and spices. What are your go-tos? <sighs> well, I'm a big herb person, yeah. so I will always have at least two or three herbs. So my favourites are flat leaf parsley because I really love Middle Eastern food and Mediterranean oh, food. Oh, I love it. And it grows yeah. so easily. It's yeah, so and it doesn't go off that quickly. You can just put oh. it in a bunch in a, you know, jar, a jam jar or something. Coriander because I'm Asian and oh, I love it's delicious. Asian food. Mm-hmm. And then I will always have something either like basil or dill or mm-hmm. sometimes I'll go around and have something like chervil or thyme mm. basil or something like that. But I think if you keep those herbs, so last night, again, I had it in much time to cook and I made a salad, a couscous salad. And again, like three loads of herbs and that adds up mm. to your nutrition as well they're so full of polyphenols and antioxidants and people forget that and then spices i 
love garlic. I can't eat without garlic. I'm really upset. Yeah. It's such an amazing antiviral, antioxidant, mm-hmm. anti-inflammatory. Ginger. So if somebody's ill, garlic and ginger, are they good, good garlic go-tos? Garlic always good, yeah. Always, why, why yeah, would it? Right. Garlic and ginger is so good for you. And onion, so full of like, nutrients. Um, and then... Um, what else do I use? So spices wise, it depends what I'm cooking. Yeah. Um obviously if I'm cooking Asian food, you kind of go with the cumins and the turmerics and all mm-hmm. those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, with Thai food, there's like Sichuan peppercorns and yeah, you know, all galangal and things like that. Mm. And then if I'm cooking more Mediterranean food, which I do, or Middle Eastern food, mm-hmm. um so if I have Middle Eastern food, Zatar. Zatar's my favourite at the moment, and Harissa, things like that. They're just so flavoursome, so they make everything taste good. Mm, mm. Oh, I, I love it. And I mean, personally, I've got a little um, window tray of fresh herbs and it really, really improves the quality of life. Just being able to pick some thyme or whatever, you know, it's it's. I, I think it's blooming lovely. I, I, I love that as a good recommendation, plenty of herbs and spices. And uh, the Brits traditionally haven't been great in that department, but I think we're getting better. We're improving. Work in progress. Absolutely. (laughs) And so, okay, so we've got the herbs and spices and the correct sort of um, ways of combining foods and taking into account that we're all a little bit different. But what other things, and I'm thinking how sleep can affect because I know when we're not feeling great sometimes our sleep suffers but how how do you how does sleep sort of impact the way that we take in nutrients and things so sleep is so important it impacts our physiology in so many ways so I'll give you just a few examples because I think it's interesting so for example you haven't been sleeping well the next day it will affect your hunger hormones, leptin and ghrelin. And it will make you a lot more hungry, but hungry for sugary and fatty foods because you're tired. So this is where, and then you're easily more more able to overeat and eat the wrong foods. Mm-hmm. And so then it becomes a vicious cycle. So then that's one aspect. Another mm-hmm. aspect is that sleep's really important for our immune system. So if we're consistently having, you know, not enough sleep or good quality sleep, including if we need that kind of deep sleep and we need REM sleep, then our immune system won't be working. So we're much more likely to be susceptible to infection. Mm. Now, if you're in chronic pain or you've had something, you know, surgery or something, then obviously mm. you may not be able to sleep because of pain. So then it's about getting comfortable. And, you know, the problem is then you're going to feel really tired the next day so it's about mm. how do you then work through that pain or whatever is keeping you up and for mm. me I think one of the things having been in that position with having had breast cancer young um well just having had breast cancer full stop rather you know I've been through that so it's about really having the things that help me so for me it's like I have so specific with my bed I make sure I've, I have such a good mattress I have such good bedding I have make sure my room is cool I have a strict um, Mm -hmm. routine before I go to bed. Like I have a shower and I have my sleep supplements and I um, magnesium spray or lotion and all of those things. If we can improve at least the quality of our sleep, then it'll make a difference to our healing. Now that sounds great. What are sleep supplements? This is interesting. So a lot of us don't sleep as well. 
we're quite mm-hmm. stressed as a society. So one of the things that we're often missing is things like magnesium. So magnesium mm. is a really important supplement. And actually, it's one of those supplements that's take, better taken transdermally so on your skin rather than eating it as a supplement. It's much better absorbed. Um, also, when some people have some forms of magnesium, um, orally, it can really affect their stomach and they get real stomach tummy problems. So we don't want that. We don't you run into the mm. toilet every two minutes. So um, it's that which is really important. And there's also other things which can help you make you relax. Adaptogens such as ashwagandha, which can make you a little bit more relaxed. And things, mm-hmm. yeah, and things like, for example, if you're not very good at producing melatonin, so I've done some genetic mm-hmm. testing, and my body is not very good at converting serotonin to melatonin our sleep hormone so i supplement with a precursor to that also cherry juice anything with like a cherry extract can help as a natural precursor to melatonin so all of these things so there's a few brands that make sleep and they call them nootropics uh which can help but but really this magnesium we're so highly stressed Mm. and actually lockdown is just stressful life is just being stressful for everybody even if you've got things in place so Having better quality sleep is more. And also, some people's rooms are not dark enough. So having blackout blinds and things is really important, particularly in the summer when it's really bright, not so much yeah. now in the winter, but, yeah. you know, to help your quality of sleep because the main thing is to have that good quality. So we all need at least an hour of deep sleep, and we don't often get that, especially if you've had been drinking alcohol, that can mm-hmm. disrupt your sleep. So there's so many myriad effects yeah and and caffeine obviously is something which affects sleep as well really badly massively caffeine has a half-life of six hours which means that if you have a cup at 12 o'clock at 12 midnight you'll still have a you know a quarter of it left in your system so if you what is it because some people say oh it doesn't affect me is that right Mm. some people are more sensitive than others and you can get tested to see if you are and and also it's about some people say they're not affected but how do they know do they track their sleep so i'm wearing an aura ring and that really tracks on my sleep so i can tell when i have not slept well whether i've had the deep sleep or the right good quality sleep so some people i think some people generally doesn't affect them and they're good for them they can have a black coffee before they go right before they go to sleep and they're fine but (laughs) a lot of us actually it does tip us over the edge so we and we had no, it's not just caffeine in coffee and tea. I remember it's in dark chocolate and other things too. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, right. In in chocolate, which is unfortunate, I think. Yes. <laughs> um, no. One other thing I wanted to bend your ear on. Now I have a nutritional scientist at my fingertips. Turmeric. We have. Everybody's gone crazy for turmeric. Um, I have been making turmeric lattes in some kind of belief that they're healthy because they're a funny colour. What do you think? Is this what, is this what a kind good of milk, idea? Or, what kind uh, what, of milk what, are you using? I'm using oat milk personally. Now, so no, it's is, not doing anything. So It's not doing anything. Turmeric, oh. <laughs> but the active ingredient curcumin, is fat-soluble. There's very little fat in oat milk, almond milk, any of these milks. There is in normal milk. So if you think about the old Indian cultures where they had turmeric milk, what do they have? Mm-hmm. Normal milk and sometimes a little bit of ghee yeah, to help right. you absorb it and a little bit of black pepper. Yeah. So the problem is everyone's having these turmeric lattes, but actually right. are they absorbing the active ingredient? Is it actually working? 
It's just making us feel a bit smug, but it does nothing yeah. for us. And also the oh. quality of the turmeric, that also makes mm. a difference as well. So, I mean, look, the whole of Asia has been using this forever, whether it's Thailand or Vietnamese food or Indonesian food mm-hmm. or Indian food or Sri Lanka, for, mm-hmm. you know, forever. But it's about having little in your food, but not inappropriately where it works, where it tastes good. And I think this whole obsession with turmeric is ridiculous because actually what people need to be doing is eating more anti-inflammatory foods naturally right. and more spices because they all work together. They're all synergistic. And just having one thing doesn't work. And if you want to use curcumin, the active ingredient, do you know that you need 600 milligrams of curcumin for it to work as a bioactive? Now, that would mean you're eating 1.7 kilos of turmeric. So... Right. For someone like you who's only been having it now, like you either supplement with it because it's a, a, an absolutely known need. So someone who's mm-hmm. got some sort of osteoarthritis or you know, that potentially may help or, or inflammatory bowel disease. There's some studies mm-hmm. to show that might help. But mm-hmm. other people, what are you having it for? What I are you doing? And, it, and is there's that bit of sort of cultural appropriation, isn't there? There's, I, I think there's a little bit of that about it. It's like, oh, you know, let's have something that's from another continent. It's it's kind of wrong in every in every way, but it's interesting how us sort of, you know, health well-being people take these things on board as if it's well, going to do something. Well, going back to the cultural appropriation, yoga is sometimes, if it's whitewashed, but, you know, we're wellness influences and stuff. So we have to also remember that some of these other you know, health items can be whitewashed too. So we have mm. to look back and see what actually works because basically mm-hmm. these turmeric almond milk latte is a cultural appropriation and it doesn't work. It has no science behind it whatsoever. So I think it's we have to look at this. So rather than that, why would we not just work with proper nutritionists or Ayurvedic practitioners or whatever and really learn from them and allow them to share what actually works? Yeah, rather than just reading something in a Sunday supplement at one point about some celebrity who happened to try something. That's really, really sound advice. Thank you. I, I like that. And the thought of, um, you know, culturally misappropriating thing, is, you know, I'm there's nobody who would, I think, you know, I, I don't think any of our Movement for Modern Life people would want to do that intentionally. So I think having being a little bit more mindful as to how we're sort of consuming the things that we do is an important thing. I'm, I'm going to read you a really nice quote I read, and I'm obsessed with this quote, by someone mm. called Mina, who is a, um, a sort of self-care mental health therapist, and it, it kind of really addresses that really, I think, in a beautiful way, in the whole cultural appropriation. So um, true self-care means investigating our implicit biases and how they manifest as actions that can cause harm. It means erecting boundaries when needed in order to preserve and sustain relationships. It means holding ourselves accountable when we are wrong. The work of self-care means to understand that if we're operating in a place of ignorance, we bring that ignorance to our communities. If we're operating in a place of learning, understanding and empathy, we bring those traits to our communities as well. So as yoga teachers and practitioners, it's our responsibility to really look at our own biases and where we may be harming by cultural appropriation because we're also not just bringing it to our own lives, we're bringing it to our communities. And it's really important that we don't do that because we're harming people, we're harming cultures, and we're also perpetuating racism in some ways too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think that's absolutely spot on. And a lot of us have got a lot more soul-searching to do in that respect and really question 
what harm is it that we're causing in this world? And the world of well-being, of nutrition is so ridiculously white and privileged in any event. Um, it's lovely and it's refreshing, unfortunately, to have you here, Toral. It shouldn't be refreshing because, you know, it shouldn't be any sort of um, barrier. But I think that there is in the world of well-being. People of colour aren't necessarily, they're, they're not attracted to this um, kind of sphere because there isn't enough, there aren't enough people it's not that we're not attracted. You've got to remember that there are, if we look at social media, the algorithms themselves bias against us and they prejudice against mm -hmm. us. And we know that already. So any content I'm sharing is not being seen by if I was white, slim, cisgender, younger, you know, all of those things. So I think it's not that we're not doing the work. I mean, if you look at just the NHS, they're way more BAME, you know, doctors and, they, and healthcare professionals than that. But yet, when it comes to wellness, it has become a world of the white and privileged. So why is that? Because a lot of those people mm -hmm. aren't even trained. They don't even know anything. They just look pretty and they're, they're marketing themselves. So for me, this is problematic. Where have we become a world that's all about instant gratification of how people look? And I think that comes also back mm -hmm. to patriarchy. And I think we're lucky because we're slightly older. So we... we know that it's not about how you look and it's not about aesthetics about what's going on inside and what actual actions you're taking and your performance but i think there's a whole generation of young women and men who want to do this in fact there was some there's been a few instances of people i know who are like scientists doctors but they're making much more money and getting much more fame or celebrity by their inf being an influencer rather than actually working in these spheres where they may make a longer lasting difference mm. And, ra and rather than having the real deep-seated knowledge, which, as you say, you can then go out and share that knowledge with people. Well, I'm conscious of being respectful of your time, Toral, and so I'm really, really grateful to you for this. Um, as I say, it's a, it's a real just overview, but hopefully people can dig in and dive into your content and to what you do um, if this has sparked an interest. So where will people be able to find you? So I'm on Instagram at the Urban Kitchen and Twitter very, very sporadically at Urban Kitchen. But I have a website, www.theurbankitchen.co.uk and Facebook for those who still use it. So hopefully you'll find oh, me there. That's perfect. That's perfect. And can people get appointments with you? As yes. nutritional scientist. Yes. Yeah. So I do spend a third of my time seeing patients, but more from a functional medicine, not just nutrition. I don't ever see people on a one-off. I really mm -hmm. want to delve into your medical history and your seven-day diet and lifestyle to really unpick where you're at. So we'll see you. You know, even if you want to do an introduction to me, you'll have two appointments plus a phone appointment just to really set you on your way. Because the whole point is that people aren't working with me for years and years. They're working with me for maybe six, eight, nine months at the maximum, at the minimum, you know, two or three months just so we can get their habits and just shift them slowly over to slightly more optimal health practices. And that will hopefully make a massive difference to their health. Mm. Well, I really love the thought of it being a holistic, being a full health analysis that you do. It's not, let's look at what you have for breakfast. It's not an add-on here. This is a complete full um full service so well listen i'm very very grateful to you thank you for 
sharing sharing your thoughts and thank you as well for sharing your recipes with us and everybody those thoughts on sustainability super important so um little i like i like the thought of eating little meat and being careful about where you get it so do do consider that folks hopefully <laughs> thank you all right well thank you so so much and have a great evening